Welcome to Pastor Potluck. I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantin. And today we are with our good friend, friend of the show and of us personally. I think of us. He's your friend, right? You're my friend. Yeah, you're my friend too. Uh, it's I'm your friend. Aaron Williams Rubel, the Reverend from Cashers. Is it is it Cashers United Methodist? Is it is. It's Cashers United Methodist. She's at that church in Cashers, North Carolina, which is about an hour from us, but we know her from a previous life when she was in Canton with us. So we've got Aaron Williams Rubel here with us to talk about pastors and potlucks and all that stuff. Aaron, what is talking uh, about love? Oh yeah, talking about love. What kind of love matters? I'm out. Okay, no. Which kind of love <laughs> defines us as Christians? That's a maybe. That's a good way to end. Um, we'll get into it. It's going to be an interesting conversation today. I'm excited. We're talking about John three sixteen. Or not that one, but not the one we're familiar with. <laughs> we're we're talking about First John three sixteen through twenty four. Uh, Aaron, uh, before we begin, I don't know if we've asked you this question. What street did you grow up on? What do you remember about growing up there? Well, when I was really little, it didn't have a street name. It was Route 1. And um, about the time I was in middle school, they started putting in 911. So we got the name Pride's Road because of a gentleman that um, grew up in that community. His name Pride. What do you remember about growing up there? What was it like? Mm. It sounds rural. Yeah, it was. It's very rural, <laughs> and um, there was a dirt road that goes still goes behind that house, and um, I would often, especially as a teenager, when I needed to kind of get away from adult figures. Um, there was a little meadow clearing in the middle of the woods, and I would often. Um, go out there and just um, explore and think and sometimes pray probably and um, yeah that was that was kind of life growing up out in the middle of the woods in East Bend North Carolina that's near Hickory right uh about an hour and 15 minutes that's way off okay yeah (laughs) well cool that's helpful to kind of get a sense of uh where you come from and What was, uh, did you go to church growing up? I did. I started going to church when I was about two weeks old. Wow. Uh, Only missed a Sunday if I was dying sick (laughs) until I was, you know, a teenager. Was that because of your own moral compass or were your parents insistent on you getting, getting to church? No, my parents were very insistent about me going to church. Got themselves to church. We we know where this is going. All right. What? A two-year-old can't drive themselves to church. (laughs) That's right. The kids in our community for not coming to church get mad at their parents for not bringing them. (laughs) Yeah, my dad was um, one of those that uh, you needed to be really sick to miss church. Mm. Um, Son of a Southern Baptist preacher and... So, yeah, that was my life. Everything that you're describing to me makes me pretty confident that if I asked you to recite John 3.16, you'd be able to do so. Is that Uh something you feel comfortable doing? Maybe. (laughs) For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
So that's probably a mixture of multiple translations. I, I think that's it. Yeah. I think our There's listeners King James will be in there. familiar as well. Uh, <laughs> we don't, I don't think we need to go and actually read it, but uh, just keep, the, keep in mind John 3.16. And I'm going to ask Court if he would read uh, the passage that we're going to talk about today from the lectionary, which is the other John 3.16. But I'm going to go through 24 because that is the lectionary passage. Go ahead and go. First John 3, 16 through 24 says the following. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this, we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God. And we receive from him whatever we ask because we obey his commands, commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. All who obey his commandments abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he has given us. For later, I have a few comments about 20 and 21. All right. Well, let's start out, and I just want to, uh, we, Aaron uh, aptly put it, that we are going to talk about love today. And I wonder if you uh, had to contrast what love means or what love look looks like from John 316 the the gospel John 316 versus the epistle first John 316 what is the what would be the working definition of love in each of these and how are they different um well as you were um as I was thinking about that while court was reading um I was comparing kind of the two in my mind and you know, in John 3.16, that most every um, person that grew up in the church has memorized, um, it's all about God's action. And um, for God so loved the world that he gave for us. Mm. But in 1 John, it's more about our response to God's love. Um, and another thing that's kind of interesting is that Jesus talks about how he gave himself. And so it's a self-sacrifice, um, which I think, you know, people can kind of trip up over and um, kind of get mired in the muck between what's the difference between God sacrificing Jesus and Jesus willingly sacrificing himself. Do you make a distinction about that, Court? Is Do that, I? Yeah, is that important to you? It is. Okay. How would you... What, what, what makes it an important distinction? Because it's one thing to agree to sacrifice someone else. Mm. And it's a different thing if you were that being sacrificed. And you can get mired down into, well, it's the same person in the triune God if you want to get into all that. But if it is that same person, then each individual personhood of the Godhead had their own different 
differently expressed emotions, feelings of pain, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I don't think it's fair to just say, well, they're the same person. So same thing. It's not. Hmm. Um, so that's, that's my feelings at least. This is out of left field, but it reminds me of a scene from that movie. What was the movie? I don't know. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> it's not going to help. With the movie. Who's uh, in it? The, I don't remember. This is fun. I guess we're going to have to <laughs> cut this out. That's a lot of fun. Was it uh, V for Vendetta? <laughs> Who framed Roger Rat? <laughs> Dick Tracy. Um, <laughs> the one about the, the Reese Witherspoon plays a law student. Legally Blonde. Legally Blonde? Legally blonde. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. I have no idea where we're going, but I will go ahead before we continue any further and say, never seen it, never okay. had any interest in seeing it. So you guys take the conversation from here. Reese Witherspoon, her first day in a law class, I think it's at Harvard, and the law professor asks the class a question, and it's a large, you know, and they've got the stadium seating and everything, and there's some smarty pants that raises his hand and answers the question and the law professor asks, are you willing to bet your life on it? Mm. And the student says, yes. And then I don't remember the name of the student's classmate, but the law professor says, are you willing to bet court's life on it? It wasn't me. Well, it wasn't court that was in the classroom. That wasn't the student. But the question makes it much more serious for some reason when you're talking about putting someone else's fate at stake. Yeah, it um, should. And in the same way, we see this contrast of uh, God putting Christ's fate at stake for our sake. Uh, that's a, Say that 10 times fast. Versus <laughs> Christ putting his own life at stake for our sakes. Uh, so there's a contrast there. And I, I, I think I tend to, I, I tend to lean more towards seeing it as Christ's sacrifice that he chooses himself, which is something that mm. the gospel of John would back me up on usually. Yes. Um, but right. Uh, Cause later on in the gospel of John, he says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. So, yes, so Jesus would definitely affirm that. <laughs> and that is also in our lectionary for the week. But what you started off saying, Aaron, I think is what we need to get back to, which is that John, the first John 3.16 is about our response to God's love and Jesus' self-sacrificial love. What is required? Right. And, well, I think that the reason that that's, that Jesus sacrificing himself is important or willingly giving up his life is important because when we attest to be, want to be like Christ, when we profess that Christ is in us, then I think that that shapes how we live our lives towards others. Mm. What do you mean by that? So if Christ is self-sacrificing and Christ is in us and we are in Christ, then that should be indicate that we too are also willing to be self-sacrificial. 
So we are supposed to bring upon ourselves that attribute of the Christ that we want to be like. Is that what you mean? Right. Yes. So uh, looking at this passage, I want to bring in some of the controversy here that comes up when we read a passage that's worded so strongly as this. I mean, Christians today in our context, which is um, the United States, if we want to go that broad or, or we can go broader and say Western Christianity in general, Western civilization, or we can go narrower and say uh, Southwest North Carolina, I guess. Um, this room. This, this room. We'll go very narrow. Very narrow here. We are not asked to lay down our lives in a real sense mm -hmm. because of our faith. I at least have not yet been asked to do so. I have not either. Have you, Aaron? No. Okay. So do we just dismiss this as over the top or not language that is fitting for us today? Or do we try to adapt it somehow? And if so, what do we, how do we live differently because of the words that we read here? And what I'm speaking about specifically is this, we ought, Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And then flowing right into verse 17, if a, but if a person has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, that person, and that person doesn't care, how can the love of God remain in him? So I think what you're getting into here is what does it mean to lay down one's life? Mm, Even exactly. though it's really guiding us towards the response, Christ laid down Christ's life, so we should be willing to. I think what most Christians do is they is they focus on the willingness. And we say, well, I may never have to, but I would be willing. And that kind of gets us out of it. And that's why I'm so thankful for verse 17, which gives us a way to show just how willing we are to do this by giving us another spin on what weight laying down our life could be. What's the spin? The spin is you have the first in 16, an actual example of someone laying down their lives for others. And then in 17, you have a person doing likewise, likewise with their stuff. So their life, a collection of all the stuff they have, their wealth, uh, even who they are maybe, given to someone that doesn't have anything. And so in a way, we are sacrificing ourselves by depriving us of whatever it is. Or you could even say that to some, identity is found in the collection of what you possess. And we're giving it to someone who is in need. This is horrible to Western Christians. I'll, I'll localize it again. This is horrible to people in this room, if, if we want to react that way. <laughs> in this room, yeah. Mm -hmm. because, so because, it's horrible to me too. Yeah, yeah, because I'm being real careful because I don't want to paint Peter with a brush that I paint myself with. <laughs> it's not fair. Peter's a better guy than I am. Anyway, so I saved for five years for a Winchester Model 70. And I love this thing. I mean, I have not even shot it yet. But just rubbing my fingers across, it feels so good. Oh, my gosh. It's, 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 <laughs> I was not ready for it's, this. It's not like I worship it, but I like it a lot. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful piece of equipment. If, if it's someone... A it's a gun, right? It is a gun. Right. I was being careful. <laughs> it, is a time. it is a three a 
308 Winchester chambered Winchester model 70 featherweight. If it gets stolen, I'm going to be so mad um, because I talked about it. Anyway, uh, I'm just kidding. It's got a cracked stock. It's all rusty. You don't want it. Back to my story. I love this thing. Would you give it up? That's the question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Or would they have to pry it from your cold, cold dead, dead hands? hands. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that's, that's another thing. I'm not a gun nut, but I I like this thing. It's, it's Anyway, so that question is you asked, would I give it up? Mm. That's, I mean, that's, that's it. Mm. I don't know. I mean, I, I think that I would. Mm. I, I like to think I'm a good person. Thank God no one's asked. But mm. um, I think we all have that thing that and there are things i value more than that it's just the the amount of time i spent saving it saving for it is what made me use that as an example but there think about uh, and you know usually when i think about this i think about gideon and i think about abraham and isaac or was he abraham mm-hmm. at the, he was abraham at the time and you know hey you wanted this so bad i promised it to you now give it back to me well if i put gideon in the place of that rifle Gideon, your son, not Gideon, the Bible character. Gideon is the son, yes. He's not the son. He is my son. To me, he's the son. If, if, I mean, like, if I put myself in Abraham's position, I, I'm just going to say no. Mm-hmm. Man, I, I, I'm not going to be the, the the faith hero that the Bible wants because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. And so there, everybody's got that one thing that's like, well, here's the line. That's too far. Mm-hmm. Except God didn't. Mm-hmm. Didn't draw a line. Said, I love you this much. Here, take it. And if it's Abraham, I think, well, that's pretty evil. But I don't ever say that about God, and I don't know why. I guess because I know how the story ends. But Well, it's helpful for you to use that example because I think what this often leads to, this, this passage often leads to, is debates over hypotheticals. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think... Um, many of us are, are worried. We have an insecurity about our materialism. It is how we're raised in the society. I mean, I, I don't know of any uh, occupation that is more universal in our culture than consumerism. Like that's what yeah. we are trained to do. Uh, so uh, we, we do feel, uh, I personally feel um, insecure about uh, material possessions that I have and how dependent I am on them. But I think it's helpful to try to avoid the hypotheticals as much as possible, um, because oftentimes we can we can really easily whip ourselves into a uh, tizzy. Is that a phrase? Can I say that? Mm-hmm. Uh, most yeah. of the frenzy. You can say tizzy. Tizzy frenzy. Yeah, sure. I'm on a tizzy, quite frizzy and dizzy. It's from a book. <laughs> okay. So I think. I think that that's why this book, though, is read is written the way it is, because so the question is, would you sacrifice that nice gun for Gideon? Hmm. Well, I think another thing about the way right. it starts with life itself. Right. Possessions don't look that bad. Maybe <laughs> I'm willing to give up the and you know, don't ask me to, but I, I think I would be willing to sacrifice a rifle. But um, our possessions don't look as bad in comparison to verse 16, your actual right. physical life. Mm-hmm. You were going there. I'm sorry. I didn't call your toes. No, no. What I was thinking about was, you know, the passage is written, you know, so 
lay down your, you know, your life, your possessions, your needs, your self for your brothers and sisters. So this is, you know, written for people in your community, people you know. So, you know, would you be willing to sell that gun in order if you're if people you knew and love were starving and that however much you've saved over for the past 15 years, I don't know how much a gun costs. Um, <laughs> but that would feed a lot of people, right? And so, um, so I think that that's why it's personalized um, because, but that's also why this passage gets us in trouble is because we think we only have to take care of the people in our immediate family or in our immediate church community. Um, so it's, it's both and, right? It's, it broadens can, it, but it also narrows it. I can already see how this is much more difficult a passage to grapple with than the Gospel of John 3.16. No offense, but this, is a, this passage um, puts the ethical dilemma of how to live as a Christian right in our face. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, there is that temptation to uh, make it hypothetical and say, well, what is this saying? Is this saying I have to give up everything? Because there's a lot of need in the world and everything that I own would be a drop in the ocean in the face of that need. Mm -hmm. So that so that's one side of the coin. So it doesn't matter what I have because the need is so great. And then the other side of the coin is. Well, this says, you know, just my brothers and sisters, so I can define that as narrowly as possible. And if they are good, then I'm good. You know, I'm looking after my own and they're taken care of. So that means I don't have to make any changes. So yeah. in between those, how do we how do we negotiate in between those two poles? I don't know, but I want to hear So I think that. I think this points to our humanity and the problem with humanity. You know, if you think about it, God started with 10 rules mm -hmm. and we turned them into what, 613 before the Old Testament is finished. Sure. And so we have to, what court? I'm sure there's more than that now. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have to figure out exactly what the rule means. Um, but part of this passage too is do our hearts condemn us? Mm. That's right so if we move on to verse 20 which what court wanted to talk about earlier right is so it's a matter of conscience so can you walk past a homeless person on the street who's clearly suffering and not offer help you can if you've been or, your whole life to numb that part of you or if you're a sociopath See, that's what, I, that's what I want to come back to. It seems like I'm okay as long as I don't feel guilty about it. Mm. So mm. sometimes the response is, how do I numb the part of me that how feels guilty? How do I guilty? assuage my own guilt and then I'm fine? And a lot of times what we'll do, this is not sociopaths. This is actually thinking, caring people. A lot of times what we do is we will use John 3.16 to get us out of any response to first John 316. We say, okay, these guys are suffering. So I'll remind them that God loves you this much. 
and that'll make them feel good and I can feel better about myself. Mm. Because one is all about God giving and the other one and us receiving. And the other one is about God gave so we should too. And that takes more work. And so we can go out and we can numb the masses or numb ourselves to feeling the pain of the masses by saying, but God loves you. I know you're suffering, but God loves you. Mm. And then we just feel good about ourselves. So that takes us to that the concept of belief too, right? So is belief completely an intellectual assent? I believe that Jesus is the son of God who was crucified, dead, raised from the dead and is the savior of my life. Or does that make me change? Like, do I change my heart because of that mm-hmm. and my life and my actions? Atrium and your ventricles? <laughs> my soul my spirit heart okay so i'm a baptist i don't do creeds so uh what you're saying kind of is if we profess to believe the same the right things then we're good or that's what we try to convince ourselves you can't throw that on creedal people i mean the yeah. baptists are the pros at the the prayer right? That if you say oh, these words and yeah. pray this prayer, you're good. So you can't throw that on, on us that actually, and who do creeds. Sounded like a creed, yes, but you're right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was saying, you know, very much a creed. The, the nature of your comment is correct. The Baptists, myself among them, are the worst at saying, well, I walked <laughs> around and was some water, and so I'm good. Have a good life for everybody else. So, Peter's so I everything. think that that's Peter's what? Reading something good's about to get happen. Oh. <laughs> so I was just going to say though, but that's that's why this is so challenging, right? Because we can say all day long that I'm a Christian and I'm a good person, but our actions speak louder than words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and and uh, so far we've really been debating this. I've noticed from the perspective of the house. Of, mm. you know, our, our ethical um, decision making and our hypotheticals are really, uh, you know, they, they, they betray our social status because what we're concerned about here is how much do I have to give up? Um, so if we were to turn instead and put ourselves hypothetically in the position of those in need, uh, which it shouldn't be hard to do because as pastors, we regularly answer the phone to folks who are in need, who are looking for help. What is the image of a Christian that we seek to portray to the world by our actions? I think that's maybe a more, more pointed question for how to respond to this scripture is, uh, what what is a uh, what is going to be the memorable action that a Christian can take that would dif- that would differentiate them from anyone else because of the love of God? I did not think you were going to hook it, but it's a good question. Are you, but however, it's still asked from the perspective of the haves, is it not? Maybe. Mm-hmm. As I thought well, you were help, going to ask us to put ourselves in the positions of the have-nots to help, see how they would respond. Yeah. Well, help me ask a better question then. Well, I want to come back to that question. Okay. But first, let's talk about have-nots. 
I think when you see this from the perspective of a have nots, something transforms it hmm. in it, not it, but in it, because you've asked someone with 16 and 17, first John three, 16 and 17. First, would you lay down your life for them? Second, what about your stuff? The have not says, well, I'll, if I'm going to respond to this in the affirmative, that means first, what little I have, I'm going to give up to meet someone's need. And it costs me more than it would I have. And when I'm out of what I have, then it may be the actual life itself. Mm-hmm. And suddenly these are even more challenging. So it's like as a person that has wealth, or I mean, pretty much any Westerner, we have a more comfortable starting position, a more cushioned place from which to read this or protect it. But a person is not in that situation, a quote unquote have not, a majority world person, for instance, reads this if they can read and they, or finds out about this. And the question that's important, how do you respond to this is a much different response. Because if they are finding yes. faith in the affirmative, it's I'll give you everything I have, but that's not much. And then it's me. Go ahead. Aaron. So, so I think that's really interesting because it is out of the, um, African tradition that we get the idea of Mbutu, you know, that idea of sharing whatever it is you have um, and everyone sharing whatever it is they have. Um, I went to seminary with a woman who, um, well-educated, I think she had already had her law degree when she went to seminary, but she talked to me one day about how in her home community in Africa, if she would never eat a sandwich in front of someone else without offering it to them, because that was, everybody shared everything they had. And that sends us back to the Acts 2 church, right? Where everybody shared everything in common. Hmm. And, and I think that that's part of this is that we all have something to share. (laughs) We all have something Um, that defines our life, whether that's material stuff or um, whatever it is that we hold precious. You know, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you know, the fan, the idea of the ring is precious. And so we all have that, right? So whether or not you have lots of material wealth or little material wealth, what is that to you? Mm. Okay, I've got it. I've got it. You've got your question rephrased? Yeah. Good. Well, okay. So this is, so I think that this scripture is really taking aim at this sense in which material, in which people with material possessions seem to equate their material possessions with their life, right? Mm-hmm. So it's saying you need to give, Christ gave up Christ's life for us. And we need to lay down our lives as well. Then it flows right into material possessions um, that we would need to give up in the face of somebody with need. But I think uh, what what I find true in Christ's life is that he was he was able to reveal eternal life 
through giving up his life. And what, what I mean to say is that perhaps material possessions are not our life. Perhaps they're mm -hmm. our death. And only by mm -hmm. being willing to let go and give up do we actually find the life that Christ is offering us. That's why every Sunday I like to say, well, I like to consider every Sunday a uh, stewardship Sunday. Mm -hmm. Because uh, what I say when, when it comes to time of offering is that this is an opportunity to support the church and its ministries, yes. But it's an opportunity to look at those things that we would normally cling to. And we do have a sickness in, in Western Christianity. Our sickness is for owning things, for property, for possessions. We think that that is somehow the source of our life or that we can preserve or protect our life with those Winchesters. Um, you could. <laughs> in some sense, but what kind of life? Eating my tummy. Okay, anyway. Um, so, but the but I say about the offering plate, this is an opportunity for us to consider what it is that we cling to that is not Christ Jesus and practice letting go in a small way. It doesn't have to be everything that you own today. I don't ask that of anyone, but it is a, a weekly reminder and an invitation to hold loosely what is really in the end a gift that we only get to hold for a little while and to think about it differently than this is mine and this is how I'm going to put bread on the table. Well, who, who gives the bread of life? So, where, do, where does our sustenance truly come from? So you're, you're cautioning them in that moment about being slave to your stuff, but at the same time, you're offering them another way of being human and setting them free from this slavery all in one statement. I think, and I think that's what Christ is, is doing in his work as well. Well, and I think that it does tie back to this passage too, that um, you were joking about guns and stuff, but you know, Jesus laid down his life. And yet we in the Western world are all, too often tempted to be willing to take someone else's life to protect our stuff and ourselves. Mm. And so where is that line? You know, our, you know, we talked earlier about self-sacrifice or sacrificing someone else. And, and so I think that's part of that fine line to walk. There was one time I was uh, working on a gardening project and I needed to borrow someone's truck. Uh, so I went, um, she went with me to the, the place where we're going to get a bunch of, um, of compost to put on the garden. And I, uh, she drove there and parked and I was supposed to get the compost out of range to get it. And, but she said, well, I'm not that great at backing this truck up. So can you do it? And when I pull into a parking spot, I always pull in with the wheels straight ahead. So I don't even think about it so that when I go to back out, I can back out straight. Um, she had not done that when she parked. So I'm like, oh yeah, I know how to back up a truck. And I just hopped up in there and I hit the gas to back it out straight. And I slammed the truck into the truck next to it oh. because the wheels were cranked. So it went, it went completely into the door of the next truck over. And I, I felt so bad. 
first yeah. of all, it was not my truck that I was driving. Second of all, I had just been like, oh, oh, oh I know how to drive a truck. It also wasn't your truck that you hit. It wasn't my truck that I hit, too. <laughs> so the, the, the not, man, not to pile on. It was a smaller truck than the one that I was driving. And I pulled out, and there's this big dent in the door. I mean, it was not a new truck that I banged into. It was a, it was a kind of a, a beat up truck, but it was somebody's. That was someone's job. And, yeah. And um, and so I I was so I was so beside myself. And the 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 guys who owned the truck who were, who were driving, they were inside. They came out hearing the crash and walked up to us. And, and I just I immediately started to apologize. I was so sorry. Like I you know. I've got insurance, you know, it's not my truck, but like my insurance will cover it. I can give you that information. And and these guys just looked at the truck and it's like, well, it's his truck. And the, the owner looked at it and he said to me, he said, you know, it's okay. You know, we're Christians, you know, we're not going to make you pay for this. I was floored. Yeah, I would be too. I was like, wait a second. Since when does being Christian mean that you don't get your truck fixed on someone else's insurance? No one ever told me that that was how I was supposed to be. It's actually in the Baptist faith. Is it? No, it's okay. Not. It's not. I will never forget that day. Clearly, it never says anything about what you're supposed to do in that situation in the Bible. But these men had interpreted, I think, passages like this to say that in certain situations, we let it go instead of clawing tooth and nail to get what we deserve out of every situation let's analyze the situation because the phrase you just use certain situations is important putting myself in their position based on what they did knowing the end of the story it may be that they saw a chance to give life in other words to rid you of guilt Hmm. to set you free from worry and, and and affirm that you're all right they're giving life in this situation by sacrificing something of theirs in mm. this case a seems to be a tool by which they make a living mm-hmm. and so this is in my opinion is very 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 close to what 17 says um, and I mean, that, that's already evident in your story. The reason I say to analyze it is maybe that's what we should be doing mm. instead of looking for ways to get out of it or trying to explain it away. Perhaps what we should be doing is just simplifying it and saying, what can I give up to give someone life mm. in some way? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think even broader than that, I think it's about relationship. You know, what's, well, just what's important. Is it the guilt and the shame of your brother or your sister? Is it, or is it, is the thing more important than the person? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what I perceived in their action, uh, which I, like I said, I'll never forget. It was an act of grace, to be mm-hmm. sure, was that. Um, they were ready. They, they hadn't thought this through ahead of time to be like, okay, if somebody backs into me or slams a truck into me in the parking lot, this is the Christian response. But they were, they were, they had an orientation that, um, 
that allowed them to, I think, make the right call as a Christian in a specific situation without having lived out that hypothetical situation ahead of time. Does that make sense? They were ready to uh, set aside a material uh, disadvantage in order for the sake of revealing um, the, the, their faith. And it was a powerful testimony to me because they flew in the face of everything that I've ever been taught about what you do in an accident situation. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> Cops come, make sure you get the information. I don't know that anyone ever told me to make sure everybody's okay. Yeah. So, so now I'm not, I don't want to, I think I don't want to universalize this. I don't want to say that this is how Christians should respond in every situation that would be making another hypothetical out of it. But I think I just want to give that and offer that as an example of how we have the power to give life by the way that we hold our possessions lightly and loosely, given what we know about what we have received without, um, without cost from God as a gift from God. And I think it ties, you know, it ties the command from God, from Jesus to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, which is what this passage is about, hmm. to the golden rule, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Mm-hmm. And that is grace, right? When others harm us, we want it to be fair. Hmm. But when we harm others, we want grace. So I'm going to ask Peter a question based on your encounter with those two gentlemen. You never said how the other, the person whose truck you were driving responded, but that doesn't matter. But she was gracious as well. Good. Yeah. So your original question was what, how does that make, how does our response to this present the church to the world? And so when they behave like that, what were your feelings toward them? Gratitude. Okay. Because I guarantee you there's someone in the world that would say, what a bunch of suckers. Hmm. Um, probably not someone that they did that to, <laughs> gave that grace to. Probably someone that heard about it. <laughs> so that guy just exploited you. Um, and I think that's kind of what it, what, what the, what Paul, is it Paul who says that the cross is a stumbling block for Jews and a foolishness to Gentiles. I think that's what he means by that is it won't until make you, sense until you've experienced it. It, it, it doesn't look like it, anything but foolishness. Mm-hmm. So you could read three sixteen, first John three sixteen and 17 and say, wow, God's a chump. Mm-hmm. You could even read John three sixteen, John, not first John and come away that way. But, but I don't think you can after you've experienced that grace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that that's the beauty of God's grace is that God is, does not treat us with fairness. Correct. God treats us with grace. And there's no nothing we can ever do to earn that love and that grace. So we started with talking about the difference between the love that we see in the Gospel of John 3.16 and the, the love that we see here in 1 John 3, 16 through 24, uh, what does it come down to for each of you? What, what would you say we've, we've discovered here? I think that what I've discovered is that 
experiencing God's grace should elicit a response to love in a superhuman manner. Hmm. In other words, we have now been loved by something superhuman that loves more than we can. And the onus is now on us to love that way to those around us or beyond. How about you, Aaron? Yeah, I was thinking along those same lines that when we have experienced the unconditional love and grace of God through Jesus Christ, then we should respond likewise in whatever way that is for us in that moment and in that situation. Um, and, you know, you know, it talks about sharing material wealth, but it may be that the person in front of us doesn't really need whatever it is we have, mm-hmm. but they Maybe may they need, need something forgiveness. else. Maybe they need uh, understanding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are so many ways in which now that I'm thinking about it, uh, we can practice giving grace and it, and it has it has to do with just understanding the need of the person in front of us. And it's, it comes back to relationships, like you said, Aaron. Because if not, we end up throwing, we end up doing more harm than good. Because I think, you know, on a global scale, you know, we pat ourselves on the back for sending, you know, rice to famine, um, you know, to countries experiencing famine or, you know, mosquito nets to places where there's malaria. And we're like, yay, we're such good Christians. Look, we gave a dollar and now we've just bought a meal for some poor kid in wherever, not realizing that we're actually harming their economy because they have people there who've who've made mosquito nets and who grow corn and have stored it up for years and now they can't sell it. I, th- I do think it still goes back to knowing what our motivation is and being in relationship with those who we're trying to help so that we can help them in a way that's actually helpful and not harming. Mm-hmm. All right, for Pastor Pollock, I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. And we've been joined by Erin Williams-Rubel. She is my friend, and I appreciate her comments anytime. Um, I thank you guys for doing this with me. It's the uh, not the it's not like it's the only thing i have to look forward to in the week but i definitely look forward to doing these these as often as we can so thank y'all thank you thank you and thank you for listening